Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, good evening. Um, I trust everyone's having a good week, and I'm glad you're here tonight as we uh, have an opportunity to uh, uh, sing praises to our great God and Savior and also open up a, a portion of His Word tonight. So, uh, if you will turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47 in just a minute. Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. And so I want to start out uh, by sharing a summary of an article um, that I found uh, about those who call themselves Christians and what this may mean for the church in the future. Uh, a June 2014 article published by missiologist Ed Stetzer of Lifeway Research states that fewer people may be calling themselves Christians in the future. And this trend may be a good thing. Uh, Greg Jow, who is a, a part of the Life of the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, agrees with this prediction. He says that it is not bad because more people will be honest about their faith and the meaning of Christian will be more defined, which would create new opportunities uh, to share the gospel. And both uh, Stetzer and Jowell say that the number of people with a real faith in Jesus will not diminish. Rather, there will be fewer people who identify themselves as Christians due to the culture. Jowell says, 20 years ago, you might uh, talk to someone about Jesus and they would say, oh, sure, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church occasionally. Well, now you have people who say, oh, I don't go to church at all. And because they don't go to church at all, they might be a little bit more open uh, to hearing about Jesus and to consider who he really is. And John says this trend will also be good for churches because they will tend to become more united and better focused. He says the overall effect will actually make people think about spiritual things and when, you act, when people actively think through their faith, they will have a better chance of, encountering the, uh, of people encountering the truth of the, of the gospel. And so even though this article was written in 2014, uh, we know what it says about the definition of Christianity still holds true. Now, I haven't checked any recent uh, statistics, but I would guess that now in 2023, there will be more people who say that they do not go to church at all. And we can just look around and see how different things have been since the COVID pandemic. Most churches will tell you that it has been a struggle to have people returning to gathering together on the Lord's Day. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, what they, it doesn't matter what they've replaced that time of gathering with. It could be that they're, that they're looking at online church or they're doing smaller spiritual gatherings, if you will, or it may be the ball games for the kids, but there is no doubt things have changed. But tonight, I want to look back to the beginning of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's helpful sometimes to look where we have been to get an idea of where it is that we need to go. I had a 10th grade world history teacher uh, that said, and I think he was quoting Thomas Jefferson, but anyway, he said it like this, you know, those who forget their past are condemned to repeat it. And so I think it's helpful to, uh, to reflect uh, on all of the things that God has done for his people in the past and not forget how God has been faithful 
to his church, and he gives his church the direction that they need for the future. And we see that in Scripture, and so it is helpful to look back at these things. And I want us to see tonight that the way for the church to become united and better focused is to return to the devotion and the togetherness that we can see in the, at the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. But before turning to the verses that I want to look at tonight, I just want to set the stage a little bit for what's going on in Luke's account of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so Jesus has ascended, but before that, he told the apostles to wait for the Holy Spirit who would give them power, and they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came with power on the apostles and those who were with them, and the power of the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak as a witness of Jesus in a way that at, on this day after Pentecost, they went to the temple and they were speaking and everyone, no matter what their language was, they could understand what the apostles were saying. And so Peter gets up and preaches a sermon that traces how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament by his death, burial, and resurrection, and that he has opened up a way for God to forgive sinners if they will repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get to the verse just before our passage where it says that, uh, um, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls to their number. And so that brings us to our passage tonight. And, and as we walk through it, I want us to see what was it that these 3,000 souls were becoming a part of? What did being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ look like at the very foundation of his church? We believe that the Bible teaches truths that will never change. And so in verses 42 through 47, I want us to see three duties from the past that Christians need to maintain until the Lord returns. And so let's read this passage together. Uh, if you would stand with me tonight in reverence to the reading of God's word. And we see in verses 42 through 47, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, to fellow, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we come to a portion of your word tonight uh, to see what it means to be uh, devoted to the things that you have said to, for us to be devoted to and how we can be together as your body and have the unity uh, of the body of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would come and, and teach us great and marvelous things from your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. You may be seated. So the first duty that I want us to see that we must maintain is that Christians must be devoted to the essential teachings of Christ. Look at verse 42 where it says that there were some things that the early Christians were devoted to. And so what does it mean to be devoted to something? Uh, we sometimes uh, speak of, of married couples being devoted to one another. 
Uh, there are parents who are devoted to their kids. And here in Alabama, there is a particular devotion to one or more college football teams that is evidenced by the number of people who spend time attending their games or watching them on television during the fall season. And so each of these descriptions give us an idea of what is said about being devoted to something. It means to continue regularly in some activity. It means being persistent to attend to something that must be done. So what were these activities uh, that the early Christians were devoted to? And so first, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were the men who had been commissioned directly by Jesus to speak on his behalf. They had walked and talked with Jesus. They saw him perform miracles. They were taught directly by Jesus the message that they were to take to the world. He gave them this commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Jesus said, "'Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, "'baptizing them in the name of the Father "'and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, "'teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, "'and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.'" And so part of the responsibility that the apostles had was to teach others the things that Jesus had taught them. The apostles saw the teachings that Jesus, the, that, had, that Jesus had given to them as something that was up of utmost priority. Paul writes to the church at Corinth a short summary of the apostles' teaching and the importance of it when he writes in 1 Corinthians verses 15, uh, chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, for I deliver to you as of first importance also what I, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The teaching of the significance of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what Peter was emphasizing in that sermon that he preached on that day. Peter had explained how the Old Testament predicted that a Savior would come, that Jesus fulfilled each and every one of the prophecies and the works of God that they were seeing in that day were to testify that all had been fulfilled and now all who repent and believe could have their sins forgiven and know God as their Savior. The scriptures that they had were the Old Testament, but it wouldn't be too long from now when all of these eyewitnesses' accounts of the life and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ would be written down, and those writings along with the Old Testament make up what Christians have received from the, from the apostles. For us, being devoted to the apostles' teaching means, means holding fast to all that is contained in the Bible. We need to read it. We need to study it so that we can understand it and understand what it means. Sometimes we will wrestle with the things that it says, but this is what it looks like to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, second, they were devoted to the fellowship, which means they were committed to gathering together to do certain things. And this passage gives us a glimpse uh, of what that looked like. Note how this verse says that the people were devoted to the fellowship. And so using the in front of fellowship makes a distinction. This, their gatherings must have been known as being something different. It was, it was committed to a purpose because there were some elements uh, of, of the Christians who gathered that was different from the gatherings of the synagogues. And so the worship uh, of Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the commitment to his teaching were what made the gatherings of these believers different 
from any other gathering uh, at that time that would be going on at the temple, uh, especially on the day where Peter preached and 3,000 uh, new believers were, were joining them that day. And so there was, a, there was a particular, when it talks about the, that they were committed to the fellowship, they were committed to gathering together. And third, uh, as, a, as a part of this unique fellowship, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, the phrase breaking of bread uh, is going to be used twice in this passage, uh, but with different meanings, and we'll get to the second use in just a little bit. But in verse 42, the breaking of bread refers to the observance of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was a part of the teaching and the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ because on the night before he was crucified, he took the bread and he took the cup of the Passover and gave them new meaning based on the work of redemption that he was about to complete. And we see the Apostle Paul explaining what took place then uh, and the teaching for all Christians to observe the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 verses uh, 23 through 26 where he writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, churches have different rhythms and there are different times when believers participate in the Lord's Supper. But it is a key part, should be a key part of the regular gathering of the local church so that we remember and not forget and proclaim the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross until he comes again. And so the fourth thing that the, uh, that the apostles, uh, that, that these believers were devoted to was that they were devoted to prayer. And Jesus modeled prayer during his life. He would get away from the crowds and he would go to quiet places to pray. He taught the apostles how to pray. Jesus gives the indication that he expects that his followers will pray. When he would speak of prayer, he would not say, if you pray, but he said, when you pray. Prayer is an expected part of the regular gathering of the local church and also of the individual lives of believers. These were the practices that the early believers were devoted to. So, so I want to ask you a question, and, and I'm asking this question of myself as well. Uh, what are we devoted to? Are we, are we more devoted to our marriages than we are to the, the things uh, that the apostles taught? Are we more devoted to our kids and their activities or to our own hobbies than we are devoted to the teaching of the Word of God, to gathering together as the body of Christ, to remembering His finished work that He proclaimed through the, that is proclaimed through the Lord's Supper. And when we gather, we pray continually for, to the Lord for one another and for the world that needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ and, and follow Him. And so verse 43 says that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being uh, done through the apostles. Awe is a healthy sense of, of fear and respect. It says that every soul came to feel this awe. Um, and, and Jesus uh, gave these signs of, of working miracles th that the passage says to the apostles in order that their message could, would be affirmed that it was from him. 
Uh, and, but it also means that believers and non-believers alike had this sense uh, of awe over the things that were going on. And so Jesus performed miracles himself to confirm his identity, and then he gave that authority to the apostles to do the same. Now, once the canon of Scripture was completed, we do not often see these signs and wonders um, to confirm the authority of the messenger. The message is confirmed if the messenger holds to the apostles' teaching as seen in Scripture. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it is possible that he could work uh, miracles that can only be explained, uh, that, that, that they defy human explanation, that only God could do it. You know, there are some things, the only explanation that we could give is that the Lord chose to do something to demonstrate his power and his glory. Yes, you know, God still does miracles, but he no longer uses miracles to confirm the authority of his word. God's greatest miracle of all time is how he takes the dead souls of men and women and he makes them alive so that they can be called children of God. We have seen God move to save uh, many souls in the great revivals of the past, and I think of uh, in the 18th century uh, here and, and in England where, you know, thousands were saved because men like Whitfield and Edwards and the Wesleys, they were preaching the word of God, and so they were, the, the, the miracle of God taking, count, uh, taking thousands of souls and saving them and bringing them into a relationship with him. And so I've read about those uh, revivals, but I don't know that I've ever seen one in my own lifetime. You know, maybe it's because we have moved away from being devoted to the things that the early church was devoted to. Um, and that we have, it's why we have not seen God move to save souls uh, like that in the past. Maybe it is time that we need to return to being devoted to his teaching, to fellowship that encourages and holds one another accountable, to remembering and proclaiming the work of salvation in Jesus Christ, and when through observing the Lord's Supper and remembering to pray for one another, uh, and, and, and we may just see if we will become devoted to those things again, that, will, that God will move in mighty ways once again. Now, the second duty that I want us to see is that Christians must demonstrate togetherness with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so verse 44 says that all who believed were together and they gathered together for worship and these early believers were united in spirit as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see this throughout the book of Acts that this togetherness that's mentioned here in this verse, it's repeated a number of times. Uh, like in Acts 4.32, where we see that the believers were all of one heart and one soul and had all things in common. And we're going to talk about these things here for just, in just a minute. Paul uh, talks about this type of togetherness in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, when he says, Walking in a manner that is worthy of the Lord involves being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Jesus prayed that his followers would be one just as he and his father were one. This togetherness was de demonstrated by the things that they were devoted to and how they lived their lives, which we see at the, uh, in verses 44 and 45, where we see that they had all things in common 
And so they were combining the things that they had and helping anyone that had a need among them. Now, this was not some type of introduction of of communist thinking in the early church by the apostles. These early believers gave voluntarily. It was not demanded by the government or the apostles. Peter later on even tells Ananias and Sapphira that they did not have to sell their property and give the money away. Their sin was that they lied about it. And so we see stories throughout the New Testament of how believers demonstrated this togetherness by helping their brothers and sisters in need. And so many of these early believers had personal property uh, because uh, they, and they maintained their personal property. They didn't sell it because uh, the, the, the believers would gather in one another's homes. And also there was, there was no such thing as an embassy suites or a Motel 6 uh, in Jerusalem. And so people often hosted families in their homes during the feasts that the Jewish, that Jewish families were expected to attend. And so one of the great joys that, that I've had since uh, being here at Harvest was the opportunity a couple of years ago to host a young man in our home from Texas when a, a group from his church came to teach us about how the, what the, the things that they were doing to share the gospel in their community. And so uh, uh, this young man spent the night uh, in, our, in our home for a couple of nights. It's fall, and so when it is fall, there's college football. And um, he even, uh, being sort of a fellow uh, uh, geek, if you will, uh, he pointed me and Jamie uh, to a flight uh, tracking app on our phones that we still use today because that night we were sitting on the porch and talking and a plane uh, traveled by and he was able to pull it out and, and, and know where it was headed. It's like, that is so cool. And Jamie still loves uh, that app today. So it was just a, a time of getting to know one another. Uh, and the point is at that point, until we found out some things that we had in common, the only thing that we have, that we had in common was a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and a desire to learn uh, how to share our faith and to take the faith uh, that we have to our community. Now, I don't know if I will ever see that young man again in this lifetime, but I, I look forward to one of these days renewing acquaintances that I have made just like that throughout my life in eternity. And so th- this kind of togetherness should mark the church today. Are there possessions that you have that you could donate uh, or sell uh, to, to help a brother or sister Uh, that is in need. If the Holy Spirit prompts you, this is voluntary. God loves a cheerful giver. That would be between you and the Lord. Uh, Could you help a family uh, in in our church? Give them a place to stay if they need it and share in the blessings that God has given you. Maybe it's time to remember the example of these early believers and demonstrate the type of togetherness that shows our devotion to Christ by being ready to meet the needs wherever we see them. And so finally, that brings uh, us to the third and final duty that we must maintain. Christians must also demonstrate togetherness when facing a world that needs to know Christ. And so verses 46 and 47 give us a sense of the routine that the believers settled into. These new believers were in Jerusalem, and the life of the temple was still a huge part of their lives. They would gather at the temple as well as in homes, and these believers were living their life of devotion and togetherness in front of the world that their Savior had given his life for. 
And it would seem that some of them, uh, with these gatherings in their homes, they uh, instituted the very first fellowship dinners, which all Baptists can get behind, amen? This is the kind of togetherness that they demonstrated. Um, I love to have gatherings in my home uh, and share meals with, uh, with uh, f- uh, fellow believers. We gather here on Wednesday nights to have fellowship supper, taco salad, that's a big thing. But some of my best memories were, as a child, the once-a-month Wednesday night fellowship dinner at the church where I was attended as a kid. Now, it was a potluck dinner. And so once a month on Wednesday nights, there was food that came. And I still remember uh, the Boston cream pie that Ms. Orez Nichols would make for each and every one of them. And you had to get it quickly because it was going to disappear. Uh, and it just, you know, and just being around the older generation and hearing them talk of their faith and being able uh, to, to gather together is one of the memories that I have of, of the first years uh, when I became a believer in Christ. Um, and it seems that, um, you know, believers also have a love of sharing life together, that they were, they were praising God and they had generous hearts. And I experienced some of this generosity uh, when I went to uh, uh, preview day at, at Southern, uh, you know, several years ago. Now, y'all have all heard the story about how I went to Louisville, Kentucky to meet good friends from Harvest, Alabama. But there was another family that I met uh, that night uh, when I first got to town. It was the first night of the NCAA basketball tournament. And you know, if you're in Kentucky, the basketball tournament is going to be a big thing. And so Louisville was playing that night, so there was a lot of excitement. And the, uh, so they had, um, were having a student gathering uh, in Heritage Hall, and they had pizza and ice cream, which was apparently a big deal because usually at, the, at these events, what they got was Chick-fil-A. So there was excitement. Anyway, the, the uh, uh, prospective students who were there for preview day were invited to join in. And so when I got my pizza and sat down, I was at a table with a young family and we began to talk and it came up in the conversation that I had never been to Louisville before. And he said, now I know that they keep you busy on these preview days, but if, if you have the time and would like to, I'd love to take you around town and just talk with you about my experience uh, as far as uh, following my calling and, and being a student. And so we were able to arrange a time uh, to gather together. I didn't know this young fellow from, and I say young fellow because he's younger than me, I didn't know him from anyone else. But the one thing that I experienced on that first night when I began my seminary career was the love of the body and the unity of the spirit that the Bible talks about. And it was a profound example of this of the kind of togetherness that we see spoken of uh, all throughout scripture in, in the new testament that when be, when believers were added to the number of believers they fellowshiped and they gathered together and so these these examples are the reason why it says that in verse 47 that uh, these early believers had uh, favor with all the people they were living their life in front of a world who was looking for something that might be different, for a love in a community that just might be different. 
you know, they were blessed with food and they were, and, and they, and they praised God for their blessings and, and they were, and they were glad in heart and they were generous with one another, meeting the needs of any of them that had needs. And so they just demonstrated that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, a remarkable change had taken place in their life. These early believers were leaving, were, were living out the command that Jesus had given uh, in John 13, verses 34 through 35, where it says, A new command that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so this command is a part of the apostles' teaching that these believers were devoted to because we, we see it repeated in some way in, in 2 John verse 5 where it says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Uh, the, the dear lady being referenced here is the church, and, God is, uh, and John is reminding uh, the, the believers that he wrote to through God's word of the, of the command to love one another. And so um, it seems that these routines of life that they were living in front of people in the synagogues pointed to the Savior that they were devoted to in such a way that those who were not yet believers in Christ were interested in what it is that made believers so different. When the end of, of verse 47, the end of verse 47 says that the Lord added to their number each day those who were being saved. And it's a summary statement of what was happening as God was working uh, through the, the changed lives in these people who had placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repented and believed. And so they were demonstrating their devotion uh, to Christ and the togetherness as children of God. You know, one thing that we see around us uh, particularly after the pandemic where so many people were, were closed off. And I have read of things like this in, in the world uh, of IT that I run in in circles all the time. The world of IT can be a very dark place. And part of that is because people are looking for this kind of togetherness that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when his people gather together. They are looking for that in all of the wrong places. There's only one thing that is going to satisfy their ache for, for, be, for togetherness that is in their soul, and that is for them to turn to, from their sin and turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ and experience the love and the togetherness that, that I, I've, I've described here and that are described in these verses. And so God is, is build, still building his church. We see this throughout the book of Acts that the devotion and the togetherness of these early believers continued and God added many, many more souls to the church. You know, at the end of Acts, Paul is seen writing and preaching about the same devotion to get and togetherness. But this is not the end of the story. That was not the end of the story. Throughout the history of the church, it is the devotion to the essential teachings and the love that leads to togetherness in the body of Christ that God uses to continue to add to his church and build his church until the Lord Jesus returns. And so as we close tonight, I want to ask you and I want to ask me again, what are we devoted to? Do we need to recommit to the essential teachings, the teaching of scripture, all of it, even the parts that the world would say that we are wrong about, and 
remember and proclaim the gospel that is represented when we break the bread of the Lord's Supper uh, and, and also to prayer, praying for each other and praying that we would see the world around us that needs to experience the, the forgiveness that comes from turning from their sin and, re- and experiencing the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, are we living a life in our, day, in our daily walk when we go to work and the people that we encounter that would give them a desire to know more about how to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we need to demonstrate the kind of togetherness that we see and remember the new command that we are to love one another and and to have the unity of the Spirit? Uh, Not not debate things on Twitter, even though healthy debate is is a good thing, but at some point, those things are not as essential as the essential truths of Scripture and, and and being mindful of the things that we need to be devoted to. If we show the world the love that uh, Jesus uh, has shown to us and we meet each other's needs both physically and spiritually, instead of trying to walk it alone, there are no no lone rangers, then it may be that the meaning of what it means to be a Christian will become more defined by what we see in the Word of God, this devotion and togetherness, instead of being defined by those outside in the outside world and those who might call themselves Christians. So it may be true that we will become more focused. If we commit to this um, devotion and togetherness, then, the, then we will have an opportunity to see God move again and to save souls. So, you know, it's a Wednesday night. Um, um, maybe there is someone here. Uh, if not here, then who might see this uh, message tonight uh, online that you have never encountered uh, the gospel. Uh, You do not know what it means to uh, repent and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that uh, you will know that you are God's child and that he loves you and that you will spend uh, eternity with him. And so if, if you have never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I pray that you would come speak to me, uh, reach out to uh, our church through uh, the YouTube channel, uh, that we may share with you the blessings of this devotion and, and togetherness that we have been taught uh, in Scripture. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.